I want to say I'm so blessed to be here today. And thanks to Gabe and thanks to Teresa. I wouldn't be here. Uh, Teresa and I went to seminary together and wow, I fell in love with her like instantly. And that was quite a journey. It changed my life. And this story, this song that you just sang today, Kenneth, was absolutely perfect for my talk. I call myself a wounded healer. I don't know if you can resonate with that, but I kind of feel like we're all wounded in some way or another. And so that's what my talk is about. It's about suffering. Ugh. <laughs> that sounds really terrible, but it isn't. The name of this topic is suffering, and pain is unavoidable. Pain is unavoidable. Suffering is optional. I saw that along the way somewhere, and I always thought, that is really so very, very true. I like, I, because I'm a life cycle celebrant, that means that I do ceremonies of all kinds. I love ritual. So I'm going to turn around and light my little candle over here, but it's really our candle to open the space to welcome us all in and to be relaxed and just kind of go with whatever resonates for you. And I feel like we're in such a safe space here that we can feel what we feel and we're being held. So. I like this candle and the spirit of God and the presence of God for each and every one of us. And there's nothing wrong with a match. <laughs> right? Lighters? Yeah, lighters are okay, but not like a match. I'd like to start with a reading. And you may put your hand on your heart. You may do whatever you'd like to. I invite you to listen. May you give yourself again, again, and again to that which will wear away. All that is not is love. To become more of who you are as you allow God to unhide you, to wear away whatever would insulate you from the holy. So one of the texts that we had to read in seminary was a book called, How Can I Help? And it was written by Ram Das and Paul Gorma. They write, it's one thing to have one heart's engaged and another to have it overwhelmed, that we cannot bear what is going on. We find it difficult to open a pain, and yet that is the basis of compassion. That turned my head around when I thought about it. Sometimes I think in my life, a lot of my life, I thought I was the only person to suffer. But the reality is that's part of living, right? And we keep on going. So the other day I was part of a woman's circle and we were just starting this circle. And I said, how many of you people have ever suffered? Well, guess what? I bet you would all raise your hand in some way or another. You work really hard to get your A's, I would imagine, or unless it comes easy. I don't think I've ever gotten an A, so it would be really hard for me. How, so I just want to say that when we realize that other people are suffering, something happens to our heart. It starts to crack open a little bit, 
oh, you know what I feel like. You understand me. I, I, I understand what it's like to not know uh, where am I going to get the money to pay that electric bill. Whatever, whatever. The story goes on and on. The first step in developing true compassion is being able to recognize, to open to, and acknowledge that pain and sorrow exist everywhere, absolutely everywhere, in one way or another. Beings are suffering. Some is intense and terrible, and some of it is quiet and small. While suffering is not all there is in life, it is a thread that needs to be recognized clearly if we really want to develop true compassion. We have our ups and downs. We have pain. We have loss. And of course, we have sorrow. Sometimes when we, not, when we do not get what we want or do get what we want, but it goes away or proves that it's not what we wanted after all. But as we know, this experience is real, not receiving external confirmation of our perception is actually far more painful than a frank acknowledgement would be. So deep down in all of that, it's about listening to one another. That's all we have to do. We don't really have to fix somebody's problem. We just need to be heard. And maybe that's the greatest prayer, along with gratitude and listening. Listen to me, listen to me. I'll figure it out, but just hear me out. We're brought up with the feeling that suffering is somehow wrong or should be avoided. I grew up in the 50s. And in the 50s, I don't know about your family, and if you were even born in the 50s, but in my family, we didn't talk about problems. No, if we had a rug, we'll just shove it under the rug. And it'll go away, or something will happen, we'll forget about it. Or we'll take alternatives to forget about it. Such as, too much food, too much alcohol, maybe drugs, maybe bye, 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 until we can't buy any more. Sex, just to name a few. We're going to fix it that way. Well, we all know it doesn't get fixed that way. When we deny our experiences, we're always moving away from something real to something fabricated. To live by this way, we will always harm ourselves. The truth may be difficult to open up to, but it will never hurt us. Truth will never hurt us. What a tremendous relief to have the actual truth openly spoken. And for me, there were a lot of times that I wanted to have my mother listen to me and my mother would hand me a cookie instead. She did the best she could. I'm not blaming her, but that's the culture that my mother grew up in. There is actual suffering happening in the world and everything is up front. So to acknowledge the truth of suffering allows us to feel our unity with others. The willingness to see what is true is the first step in developing compassion. Second step, and even harder, is opening to pain. Opening to pain, establish an appropriate relationship to it, which always seemed kind of strange to me, having a relationship with pain. And I think, for me, it was, the turning point was when I really started to study a little more of Buddhism. I'm going to talk about that. 
We may have to do a little bit at a time, just, just opening up a little bit at a time, finding somebody that we could just speak to, a place of safety and a place that of maybe integrity as well. But probably, or I'm not going to say probably, most of all, talking to God. I don't really go to a church per se. I go to a Unitarian Universalist church, but it's pretty far from where I live. I kind of live like in the middle of this little state of Vermont. So where do I go for church? I go to the woods. I grew up in the woods. I grew up in the Adirondacks, and now I live in the Green Mountains. So there's a lovely state park that's not very far from where I live, and that's where I go, and I find my bench. The bench. I call it my vow bench. I found it in seminary, and we were invited to write our vows. And guess what? Changed my life. It's sort of like going to your ethics. What is your, what do you stand for? You know, do you stand for truth? Do you stand for, uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to show up for my friend. I'm going to show up for myself. Whatever, you know, you just fill it in. Well, my vows were to remember. I kind of like starting my sentences with, may I remember that I'm never alone. May I remember that I never walk alone. May I remember that God is always here. It saved me time and time and time again. So now I find a lot of benches. That old bench that's really beautiful. It's really old, but it sits and you can see the lake, Lake St. Catherine, if you've ever been there. It's beautiful. And uh, so I go to that bench periodically and I take pictures of it and I sit on it and I talk to God and God, well, really God talks to me. And... Um, I talk about my struggles, and I never feel like I'm alone. I never feel like I'm not heard, and I feel different. Now I've got another couple of vows. I'm not going to go into that, but I just, it's an evolving process. And I found a new bench, and then I found a rock to sit on. I just find a lot of different things. It doesn't matter. Just having a conversation. And I think that's what church is, isn't it? Having a conversation with God, with all you beautiful people that are just aspiring to share your compassion, to be heard, to love on one another. I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, there's lots of other words there, but I'm getting off topic, <laughs> which is easy for me. <laughs> When we see only suffering and the end of suffering, then we feel compassion. I said that. To be compassionate is to wish that a being or all beings be free from pain. To be compassionate is to sense from within what it must be like to experience someone else's experience. Compassion means taking the time to look at the conditions or the building blocks of any situation. Things as they are arising in each moment. So how do we put compassion into action in our lives? I have a daughter that lives in Brooklyn. 
And I never thought that I was going to go two times in one month in January, but I did. And that's a whole really interesting story. But as soon as I got off the train, there was a woman going up the stairs right in front of me. And she was a homeless woman. And she asked me for money. And I saw another homeless person and another homeless person. And, you know, I don't know. I don't see it so much where I live. I live in a little town. Um, but anyway, so I saw that and it kind of broke, it really broke my heart. Then I came back to New York like two weeks later to see Madonna, which was crazy. Yeah, a really good friend of mine gave me a ticket. She couldn't go. She had another ticket. I called my daughter that lives in Brooklyn. I said, do you want to go? No, I said, I, don't, I can't come. And she said, well, what about me? So she went. But I was trying to get to Margaret in Brooklyn prior to the concert. And there on, in the subway on the other side of the tracks was a homeless person laying on their back with their arms and legs straight up, just screaming. Now, there's a temptation in all of that to look away. Kind of ignore it. What can I do? Instead of that. This really touches me. I just turned to that person and I looked and I looked and I bared witness to that. I don't, I can't fix it in terms of, I don't know what I would do for that person, but I prayed, I prayed. And I said, thank you, God, for showing me this and showing me a different way. It's all about love. It's all about compassion and bearing witness and loving one another as we are and not fixing, which is huge to me. The magic of looking at yourself as divine. We're part of this divine energy of God. It gives us rise to a kind of unconditional self-love that has a way of changing our attitude our attitude about ourselves, towards our spouse, towards our partner, our neighbor, our coworker, and that homeless person. Compassion. It isn't that negative feelings disappear overnight, depending on our mental condition, mental habits and tendencies. They might continue to arise for some time. That's just life. We also cannot let our understanding of that divinity be an excuse for indulging in anger and greed and the rest of the darker emotions, we keep on going. We keep on aspiring. We keep working on maybe our vows, whatever works for our prayers, our, our writing. I think writing is a great tool for working our way through our suffering. Spiritual teachers have said that milk and muddy water are both God, but we don't necessarily drink the muddy water. If we can remember that divine energy, that pure awareness, that God, that God is present in the midst of fear, of anger, and depression. That's important. Because I've had people say to me, where is God in all of this? All the suffering, the wars. I mean, I don't want to go through the whole list of things. God is right there. I came down... 9-11 for the Red Cross. And I remember 
talking to somebody, and I think they were um, Southern Baptists. And I was devastated. I was pretty young then. And I, and I looked at this man, and it, there were older uh, congregation that came, and it was really beautiful. And I did say something like, well, where is God in all of this? And he said, look at all of us. Look at the Red Cross. Look at them delivering the meals. Look at what we're doing. We're making the meals. Look at all the goodness that's coming out of such a tragedy. There is God. God is in everything. God is in our suffering. God is in our forgiveness. And that's where I am going to Marian Williamson, The Course of Miracles. So I get ahead of myself a little bit. It takes a lot of contemplation, a lot of self-inquiry to hold on to the understanding of our oneness. As you practice it, you will see over and over again the gap between your intellectual convictions and your underlying condition. How many times have I felt that that force that wants to expand in me, that God is talking to me, and I will say, I don't have time. I turned my head. I don't listen to that. I'd rather listen to my worries. Does that make sense to any of you? I don't know. I worry about one specific thing, and I think I have for probably 50 years. That's ridiculous. <laughs> When you confront those worries, something happens. When you listen to God, something big happens. Rather than backing down before the force of your conditioned habits of mind or giving in to your fear of seeing your own largeness, you can simply ask yourself, what lies behind this resistance? Why am I pushing that away? Why am I not listening? And that takes us to mindfulness, to be present. Instead of, oh, over there or over there, to be in awareness, to be in the moment. That takes practice. <clears throat> it all sounds simple in a way. And I could leave here today or I can be in my car driving. I'm going to just keep on working on that and then I'll forget. It's like... Oh my gosh, I went to sleep again. Wake up. And that's why I go to the, to, the, to the bench and I speak my vows. I'm an old meditator. I've been meditating since uh, 1972, and that wasn't yesterday. So I'm going to invite you all to do a little meditation. Okay? Whether or not you meditate and... You know, there's so many people say, I can't meditate. <clears throat> well, can you sit? Okay. Can you maybe close your eyes if you feel comfortable? Probably. So, and can you put your feet on the floor? And you don't have to do any of this to meditate, but I'm just suggesting it's a little avenue into getting there. And now, if you're, wherever you are in this meditation, I'm inviting you to just listen to your breath, feel your breath. Observe the flow of your breath as it moves in and out of your nostrils. Just feel that, oh my goodness, we didn't have to do anything. 
We're just breathing. Naturally, without effort, breathing. Now when your thoughts arise, let them flow out with the breath. And our mind is always working. So just invite those thoughts to go out, breathe in again, and breathe out. It's an invitation really to relax. And I truly believe that once we relax, surrender, we can listen better. We can feel God. We can feel love. We can feel self-compassion. We can feel compassion. So our thoughts are really, in a way, the image of the clouds going across the sky. But behind the clouds is the sky. The sky doesn't go away, the clouds do. And we let the clouds move, we see them, and we let them go. Shifting your attention from the breath to the awareness. The awareness that you know that you are breathing. Deep, full breaths. And as you become aware of your awareness, notice how everything you are experiencing in this moment actually contained in this awareness. Everything. The awareness is not necessarily in your head or inside your body. Your body is your breath. And your thoughts are all inside of awareness. Now allow your awareness to expand outward. Every time that you breathe out, you exhale, feel that awareness expand more and more. Let it fill the room. Let it fill the building the surrounding area expanding into the sky and beyond that, the universe. And let our awareness expand as far as it can go. And with that practice, we come in touch more with our heart, with God, right by our side always there. May I remember that I never walk alone and may you remember you never walk alone. So take one more deep breath and let that go and we'll just go into the Course of Miracles and our blessing. 
I know I was going to talk about forgiveness, but I don't have a lot of time left. So I will say this. The Course of Miracles in Lesson 164 says, let me not forget my function. What does that mean? That's what I ask. The purpose of the world, you see, is to obscure your function of forgiveness and provide you with justification for forgetting it. However, by only fulfilling the function given by God, will you be happy? This is because your function is to be happy by using the means by which happiness becomes inevitable. Therefore, every time you choose whether to fulfill your function, you're really choosing whether you want to be happy or not happy. It sounds so basic. It is in such a way. Remind yourself of this morning and night and all through the day. Prepare yourself in advance for all the decisions you make today by remembering they are really very simple. This is the only choice the Holy Spirit sees. Let me not forget my function. Let me not try to substitute mine for God. And let me forgive and be happy. And by doing that, I'm reclaiming my power by healing slowly and intentionally. Let me forgive and be happy. Let me forgive and be happy. That's our choice. So, <clears throat> my time is about up, isn't it, Kenneth? <laughs> I just want to read this because I started this, um, I guess it's like 60-day journey, and it's, um, it's all online. But we're learning about the saints, the archangels, the angels, and all of that. And uh, Teresa Avila, you know, the bookmark prayer? Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. Everything changes. I alone remain. Hold patience, for nothing is wasted. Presence in all things, I'm with you in all things. And to that I say, amen. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for having me here today. And may we all just find our way and love on each other all the days of our lives. Mm -hmm.